Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie, low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8 Dublin's Talking Sport Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. How are you? Oh, never better, never better. Last night was disappointing, but um, we'll talk about yeah. that in a minute. All good with you, yeah? All good. I'm down here in lovely, sunny Spain at the moment. Gone out for a game of golf with our usual uh, skins. Uh, it's last day, leaderboard. I'm, I'm like McElroy at the US Open. I'm, I'm sitting uh, a few shots behind going into the last day, Red. But you know what? Anything can happen on the last day. But anyway, good fun with all the boys. No, no problem. Yeah, speaking of golf, it is. It's been interesting to watch it this week and see how it's all unfolding. Uh, McIlroy, yeah. like you said, not not sitting in too bad of a place, but um, yeah. looking at all of the the live guys and the PGA and the interaction, it's interesting, isn't it? Watching them all. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. And it seems that things have sort of calmed down a little bit. You know, the the sort of the tension has lifted a lot. It's like know? it never <laughs> happened. <laughs> Yeah, I think they're just all good. Some of them that they never took the money in the first place. You know? But anyway, uh, it's good to, uh, yeah, great tournament. And, uh, you know, it's it's fantastic to see Ricky Fowler back, isn't it? And playing so well. I mean, yeah. he dropped to, what was it, 178 in the world at one stage. So it's uh, it's great to see him playing well. I think he's being coached by Butch Harmon, if I believe correctly. But uh, it's good to see him playing back to his best and uh, halfway leader at the moment. But there's a lot of big names up there. Schaeffler, of course, Scheffler. And you mentioned McElroy. I think McElroy could be McElroy's year at the US Open. Right? We keep saying that. We keep hoping mm. that. But it seems like it's kind of uh, just the pressure seems to get to him. So like it's whether or not he can he can maintain everything. But two shots as, off the lead is yeah. is nothing, you know. Uh, no. Ricky Fowler, like you said, great to see him uh, putting in a big performance. But having not been there for so long, maybe he'll buckle under the pressure a little bit. I don't know much about Wyndham Clark, I have to say. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know how he's going to handle handle it. But uh, Xander Schauffele right there with Rory as well. Yeah, there's lots of big names. Dustin Johnson there, six under two. Yeah. Um, After he had an eight on the second hole yesterday, an eight. Yeah. Four over on one hole. I know how he Fair feels. To, come, to be able to come back from that was <laughs> magnificent. Yeah, we we both know how he feels. That's a regular occurrence for us. The difference with him was he had an eight in the first and two birdies on the next two. So uh, <laughs> that's how you come back from that. There's no question about it. Mm. Um, Cameron Smith there as well, sitting on yeah. four under. Uh, I'm not sure there's too many people would be happy to see him lift it. Uh, no. One of the ones to first like, go go on to the dark side, yeah. as they as they say. Yeah. Well, after winning the British Open, yeah, you would have expected it to stay with the, the PGA Tour. But I think he was offered, you know, what was it, 200 million or yeah. something ridiculous. Mm. Uh, so obviously very, very hard to turn down. And uh, yeah, but there's, as you say, still a lot of great players up there. And uh, even though they thought they were going to make it really hard, like high roof and everything, but the players are like Fowler and Schaufler, you know, the shot record scores first day, 62. So yeah. it's uh, very, very interesting. When it comes down to the crooks, the back nine on the Sunday, that's when 
that's when you have to hold it together. Absolutely. Well, it'll be a great one to watch, no doubt about it. Mm. And uh, yeah, an interesting course, no question. Um, sort of, you expect LA to be absolutely blistering heat and it seems to be cloudy at times over there. It's weird, but uh, mm. yeah, we'll see how that unfolds. What about last night? Did you get a chance to watch uh, Ireland? Uh, I didn't get a chance to see much of it, to be yeah. honest, uh, but it was a disappointing result. And just from, you know, reading the quotes, I saw what Liam Brady said that, you know, about the way they play and the team. He said it's probably the worst bunch of players that, you know, uh, an Irish manager has had for a number of years. It's, it's, it's quite a, it's a big high criticism. But yeah, I suppose, you know, they're, they're trying to, he's trying to infiltrate his, his way of playing, Stephen Kenny. And yeah, he just needs a bit more quality, I suppose, you know. And it's hard when, you know, you don't have players playing in the Premiership week in, week out like a lot of the other international teams do. But I suppose you, you look at Greece and, and they don't either. So, but mm. they played a lot better. So, uh, you know, there lies the problem and the question. So, what can you do? You can only try and do your best with the best players. But it just it just didn't play as well as they would have liked. Well, it's it's. I agree. Um, they didn't play well at all. Uh, but I suppose. Mm. Like what strikes you after these things is Stephen Kenny's been given a lot of time and yeah. uh, probably given more uh, chances than others, I suppose. But it seemed after last night, now as you said, uh, you know Richie Sadler as well, many many other people coming on and uh, very openly critical, more so than it had been in the past. It felt yeah. to me. Um, and I, I know I'm going to talk to Alan Cawley about this as well in more detail, but it, it yeah. really feels like uh, enough is enough now that it's time to yeah, move exactly. on. That, that's what they yeah. seem to, like a lot of these experts seem to say, look, he's been given the chance, it's just not happening. We didn't see it. Like, they were poor. Look at the player ratings. They've come out as being very poor. I read them all this morning. I watched the game last night. Yeah. Uh, you know, they started off well, to be fair, Ken. I thought they'd start off well. And then after 15 minutes, they just seemed to fall apart again. And then Greece just applied this pressure. And then we had about six or seven corners pinned into our own. And it was inevitable that they were going to score. But they just looked sharper than us, Greece. Yeah, they just looked, looked sharper, sharper the whole yeah. way. Thought when we got the equaliser, we were going to get back into the game. But it never seemed to really happen. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's disappointing, you know. And. You know, you sort of uh, Stephen Kenny seems a good guy, but I don't know whether he's you know had enough time now. And you know, the experts, as you said, are they're sort of losing patience with him and being very, very critical. You haven't heard as much criticism as we have done in the past. And yeah, I mean, I suppose this campaign, you've got to give him a chance and see how it goes, and then. If it if it doesn't work out, then maybe it is time for a change. Well, but I think that's what I they're saying. They have given him a chance. This, yeah, I think. Well, I think for these qualifiers, you know, give him the chance. And then see how it goes. I think it'd be wrong to maybe <clears throat> terminate his contract, like you know, just in the beginning of these qualifiers. So give him a chance. It was a, a tough away match, you know. Let's see how he goes at home with mm. the other games, and, and let's see how it goes. It's hard to see them getting through now, though the way yeah. things have panned out. Yeah, and I suppose yeah, yeah. it's another competition gone by the wayside. If if that's the case, yeah. I mean, they were a bit unlucky. I mean, they played well at home to France, didn't they? You know, they're a bit unlucky in the end. Uh, not getting something out of that game, but yeah, it's a very tough group. And uh, but I think yeah, just let them finish out this campaign and then see how it goes and then make a decision. I think that'd be the right thing to do. I'm going to ask Alan Cawley about this, but you know when you when you see Liam Brady saying things like "this is the worst group yeah. of players that any manager has ever uh, had in in my lifetime," that's a yeah. big statement. Huge. It's a yeah, big statement. statement. Yeah, and you know, Liam Brady. 
you know, he's a very experienced man, a mm. footballer man, you know, for a lot of years. He's been watching, uh, of course, you know, all the teams, the, and the great teams that we've had in the past. So it is, it was, a, it was a big criticism, a big statement from him. But I don't know what the solution is. You know, it's not like we can pluck great players, you know, from uh, from across the way. It's just that you have to deal with the players that he has and try and do his best. But, uh, yeah, I think leave him in there for this campaign at least, you know. Mm, yeah. Uh, we'll have to see how it all unfolds. It's going to yeah. be very interesting to see. Um, uh, Bizzuto was brilliant in fairness too. <laughs> he kept us in it uh, a lot of the times. There there are some talented players in there, I suppose, uh, but it's just, yeah. I don't know, uh, maybe the, like we're sitting in fourth on the table now with uh, zero points. It just doesn't look good. It really doesn't look yeah. good. We'll have Netherlands as well to come. Um, uh, Gibraltar. Well, Monday night, I suppose, if they can... Get a, a lift out of that on Monday night. That's everything will be just hinging on that now at this stage. Yeah, yeah. They need a, they need one good performance. I think maybe give them that little bit of confidence. And they need, but they need to be shown. Uh, you know, just the, even the way to play on the on the on the pitch as well. You know, it's just a attitude playing going forward, making you know making inroads into into the other opposition's half as opposed to just holding back and, and sitting back and you know mm. taking all the pressure. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to see. Okay, yeah. um, you'll be watching the tennis is coming up soon, of course, as well. Uh, 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 with Wimbledon just around the corner, yeah. I know how keen you are on that. So there'll be uh, yeah. play, plenty be of excitement coming up on that one. Absolutely, yeah. And Djokovic winning the French, he's moved to twenty three now. Grand Slams, which incredible. Is, you know, incredible feat, and uh, probably you know make him the be- the greatest player that's ever played the game. You know, Federer was always my favourite. You yeah. know. Yeah, and I, I, you know, unfortunately he's not around anymore through injury, and he had to retire. But he was, he was my favourite. I thought he was always going to be the greatest. But Djokovic, yeah, he's got the 23 now, one ahead of Nadal, and three ahead of Federer. So uh, yeah, he's just a machine. The Rising is an epic kayaking challenge aiming to raise funds for youth mental health. It's starting on the 30th of June and Brezzy, the one and only Niall Breslin, will be kayaking the length of the River Shanning, a huge journey of over 300 kilometres and it's dubbed The Rising. It'll start at Dowra on the shores of Loch Allen and it'll end at the mouth of the Shannon in Limerick City on the 6th of July, all going well at uh, King John's Castle. So here to discuss the challenge with me is the one and only Brezzy himself. Morning, Brez. How are you? How are you, Reggie? I'm great. I'm great. I'm uh, really um, intrigued by this, you know. Um, you're always looking for a challenge. The last time I was talking to you, you went from Greystones to Mullingar uh, running. So uh, that wasn't good enough for you. Now you said you'd up it a gear or two and you're doing 300 kilometres down the Shannon. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, my car broke down that time. I had to run from uh, Greystones to Mullingar and get a lift. So. Uh, but the Shannon's a slightly different kind of idea. It was just kind of with a love for life with the charity, fundraising is actually quite a difficult thing to do and you have to come up with kind of ideas to create fundraising for the programs that we put into the schools. Uh, they're now nearly over a thousand primary schools. They're free for schools, so we have to generate the fundraising to be able to deliver them for free. The psychologists, the educational psychologists, the, the, the teaching education experts, the building of the, the, the programs, the tech, all of that stuff. So this is kind of a fundraiser for that and the idea was to start the river as a kind of metaphor for life, you know, it's it's going to be lovely, beautiful parts of it. It's going to be absolutely nasty parts of it. And myself and my mate Ray, who owns Lakeland Kayaks in Mullingar, 
kind of he came to me and said, "Listen, do you want to row the Shannon?" And and, and as one of the lads said, "Which part?" <laughs> and they said the whole thing. And I was like, "Right, let's give it a shot." So that was it. It was. I, I find with these types of challenges, you shouldn't overthink them. You know, and you shouldn't overplan them. You should just try and go for it and see what happens. Yeah, well, uh, you know, that being said, there is a bit of planning in it. 300 kilometres, you have to navigate locks, there's wide open lakes. I, I know the Shannon well, been down there many a times. It can get uh, a bit ropey at times out there. I know you've had some run-ins along the way um, with uh, the weather changing and uh, waves pushing you towards shore. So it's not as straightforward as people might think. Yeah, and the one thing you learn with this is if you, if you don't respect water, like it is the strangest thing how fast it can change especially on lakes like we were out last night and when we got into the water it was gorgeous flat like a like glass and then we just turn a corner and all of a sudden you know you're you're being thrown all over the place and that's the reality especially on somewhere like Loch Ree, Loch Erg and Loch Allen like three of the biggest lakes in the country like you're in the middle of that and you hit something or the weather the weather shifts or changes that's where the training comes in. If you haven't done the conditioning and the work and the strength training and the, the fitness training, you, you you just get you're on your own. And there's six of us, so we all have a responsibility to each other. Because if one of us gets stuck or stuck or tired or, or you know to do something stupid, it puts all of us in jeopardy. So that's the kind of reality. It's a very much a team type of thing to get, especially over the lakes. But the RNLI are um, are going to support us in the lakes, which is amazing to have that support. Our mates come out in a boat with us. So if somebody does get absolutely uh, shattered, then we can get them into the boat. But yeah, it isn't something we've taken lightly. We've done a lot of safety training. Uh, David Horkin is kind of incredible kayakers come down to us and shown us how to kind of deal with all the ins and outs and ups and downs, first aid training, all that stuff. You know, because it is it is a big ask. You know, you have the river, which is not too bad because you're with the flow. But when you hit those lakes, you've got to be ready for them. Yeah, and for people who may not get it, I mean, 300 kilometres, you're giving yourselves a week uh, to do this, uh, you know, 40 to 50k a day, we'll say, on average. Uh, it's pretty exhausting as well. Like, physically, this is going to be, uh, apart from the whole mental challenge of physically, it's going to be very, very difficult as well. Yeah, I think it's endurance sport or endurance training is an entirely different thing to any other type of sport. And it's all about being very, very tuned into your fuel, to your recovery, to your sleep. Because it's easy to go out and do a really hard day and call it a day, but you have to get up and do that again and again and again. So if you, if you don't take that seriously in endurance, you won't finish. You literally won't finish, especially with fuel. So we're tipping between six to 8,000 calories a day each. So we kind of did the maths and it's a little quarter of a million calories, which sounds amazing, but to get that amount of calories into us to be able to fuel the journey is is actually a discipline in itself. So I think coming from myself and yourself coming from a, a power sport background, it's an entirely different thing to endurance. Endurance, you've time to think, you've time to be up in your head, you've time to uh, you know because you're on the water for eight to ten hours. So recovery, sleep, and fuel is the name of the game here. And also, if you're not conditioned to do it. You just won't do it. Your body will, will give up on you, and um, that's where the training comes in. So we've been training for months now and going out in the water and all sorts. So we're going out now in 10 minutes, and the weather in Westmead is not looking great. <laughs> uh, there's, we're just praying we don't get thunder and lightning. 
Yeah, and I suppose as well, just managing things like the cold, it sounds a bit, maybe people wouldn't think, you know, we're looking at lovely weather all week and all the rest of it, but you do get cold, you're out in the water, you're in a damp environment, and even with wetsuits and all that kind of stuff on you, you know, and, and the fact that you're exercising, it can creep in. So there's a lots of things to watch and manage on it. But I suppose, uh, leaving aside the challenge, um, talk to me a little bit about Lust for Life, of course, which is the charity that this is all in aid of, and uh, you, you're, you're a huge campaigner for this. There's seems to be more and more a need for this going into schools these days the kids seem to be under uh, a lot more pressure and uh, you're trying to address those issues before anything uh, really significant arises yeah we know this we know ev- the evidence and research shows us this Reggie like all our emphasis in Ireland is on a health system that doesn't very much function especially for children in terms of mental health so the, the, the child and adolescent mental health services are, are really not very very good here and we're waiting for children to get the point of crisis before we intervene and then we intervene it's a, it's a much more difficult journey for that child and the evidence and research has consistently and constantly pointed us towards the power of early intervention through education through community support through trauma-informed care to all these different things yet all our focus in terms of government's money and health money goes into crisis so for me i believe with every cell in my body that early intervention is the solution and Education. We have an amazing education system in Ireland. You know, we sometimes in work that we do, you over focus on what doesn't work rather than focusing on what does. And our education system does work. So we wanted to tap into that with kind of a proper evidence based mental health programming for children that's kind of text loose. It's like a Netflix model for schools. Hmm. And the teachers show them there have been research at UCD and DCU. We've done the work. They're safe, they're effective. And the research that's coming back is pretty incredible. Uh, as I said, we've we've now hit, I think, nearly 60,000 students. Our aim is to uh, be in every school in Ireland by 2024 with the programme and then curriculum. And then this year we're moving to secondary school systems. So to have a complete solution from, from kind of junior infants all the way up to Leaving Cert is kind of the name of the game here. But as I said, you can either be a problem admiration society and throw stones at a problem where you can try and figure out how to solve that problem. And right now, our government aren't doing it. This isn't political. You know, that's just a fact. They, they've they shied away consistently for the past. Since, we, since, without getting too historical about it, you know, in my PhD, I'm looking at our 200 years of intervention. But since independence, Ireland, in the proclamation, said that we will protect our, our women and children. Mm. We haven't done that. And we have to start doing it. And, like, if you look at all the reports over the last 100 years, They've all had the same results constantly because it's the, the mental health is the Cinderella of the health system. Politicians aren't bad people. They just are terrified of this area and mm. they, they need to start taking it very, very seriously. Well, events like this will certainly highlight and bring it to the fore. Um, you were asking a few people to join you along the way if they're available, if they have a, a boat and they can jump in beside you. Yeah, anybody's welcome. It's, the, it's a beautiful river and it's, a, it's our resource, it's Ireland's resource and everyone's welcome on that river and we'll come out and say hello to us along the way. We're on Indowra, Carrick and Shannon, Lanesborough, Athlone, uh, Banagher, Kilgarvan uh, Key, Killaloo and Limerick. So that's where we're stopping. Wonderful. Uh, so come out and say hello and don't, don't uh, forget to donate. That's the key here is to actually create enough funds to make these programs work for people.
But now it's time to talk about another wonderful event that's taking place uh, this weekend. It begins a sailing event, an international sailing event called the Searsha Rally. It's being launched from Dunleary this afternoon, indeed. And it's to commemorate the heroic achievements uh, 100 years ago of legendary Irish sailor Conor O'Brien from Foynes in County Limerick. Conor was the first sailor to circumnavigate the world in a small yacht via the Three Great Capes, an absolutely remarkable achievement and one that many contemporary sailors aspire to follow. Conor O'Brien's circumnavigation commenced from Dunleary on the 20th of June in 1923 and the port of Funchal in Madeira, Portugal was the first port of call when he arrived on the 3rd of July and to uh, commemorate that a, an international gathering of yachts voyaging from multiple locations will be launched from Dunleary County Dublin in Ireland on the 17th of June and sail to Madeira uh, hopefully arriving all going well on the 3rd of July, July. and Colin Healy the co-founder of the Maritime Charity Sailing Into Wellness joins me now. So, good morning, Colin. How are you? Good morning, Reggie. How are you? I'm wonderful, thanks. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, this is quite a, a significant event. Um, uh, the achievement of Conor O'Brien, Three Capes, absolutely amazing. And you're using this as a uh, way to commemorate that and also raise awareness uh, from Sailing Into Wellness. Yeah, well, we were a couple of years ago, we were very lucky to get involved with the, uh, the AK Island Company. They had um, rebuilt the ship... Uh, from basically from scratch, they bought it back from um, from the Falkland Islands, and uh, we were very lucky to get involved with them at that time. And we've now we run the ship now, and we use it for our own programs, which we operate around the country. So it's uh, it's amazing, you know, and and to be involved with something that was so the, the, histor- the historical significance of it is is just uh, fabulous and it's a great story to tell people when we have them on board you know absolutely and tell me about the ship a little bit uh, size wise and restoration and all the rest of it is history yeah she, well she was bought back in 1928 it was built originally in 26 and 1926 and uh it was he had stopped connor had stopped in the falkland islands for supplies and they were so impressed by the boat searsha the yacht that's been commemorated today um, they said they commissioned him to build the fog, the, the, the the island as a, an inter-island trader, and uh, it's it's it's, my, it's the same design as the Searsha. It's it's a bit bigger. She's fifty-three foot over the deck, about eighty-three foot overall. It weighs about forty-four tons. It's a seven-sail gaff rig catch, and it's an amazing boat. And they spent twenty years rebuilding it. You know, so it wasn't a, just a short project. It was an amazing feat by an amazing man from Limerick called Gary McMahon who ran the charity and uh, she's uh, no she sleeps 11 people we can keep 11 on board and uh, it's she'll, she'll go anywhere in the world for you, you know, absolutely incredible and uh, you've gathered together a, a fleet of boats to, to take part in this uh, tell us a little bit about who's going to be uh, joining you on this uh, expedition there's a there's a lot of people that are involved in the Royal Irish Shock Club in Dublin where he went from originally. There's people coming from all over the world. I think there's you know from different parts that they're staying there. So it's a kind of a it's a it's a gathering of 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 enthusiasts. Put it that way. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, sailing itself, uh, you know, I, I suppose it's. Um, a smallish community, but uh, when you go down to Dunleary or to Kinsale, or even I'm in Greystones, I'm watching them uh, in the new marina out there and out in Hoth, and like yeah. it's a it's a big enough community, really. It is, but you know, look, when we set up sailing into wellness, it was because we wanted to make it more about social inclusion, and as a sports social inclusion, it, it, it's a big part of it, and just about giving people that the opportunity to 
to fail to do something that's different to come outside their comfort zone and try something new and it's it, it has amazing benefits from a, from a mental health point of view a physical point of view like we 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 we've had huge success with the organizations we work with and and you know the community have been very supportive the sailing community like we we've fantastic support from the clubs in Dunleary from Holt especially Yacht Club um, can sail across Haven and we're based out of Kinsale. So, and we operate nationally. We have a programme starting in Carling for next week. You know, so it's, um, it's, a, it's a national programme we run now. But it's, for sailing, it's, it's to, to make it more accessible. You know, because it, it's seen as, as a, I suppose, as an elite sport. It's very expensive, but we're yeah. just trying to make it more accessible. Absolutely. Okay. Well, tell me a little bit about the route. I mean, you're going down to Madeira, Funchal, uh, Ronaldo's... Uh, uh, yeah. hometown of course yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll see a few statues of him when you arrive but uh, yeah. is it a difficult uh, route? No it's it's like you know all dependent they'll, they'll head for the, 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 the kind of the northern tip of Spain and, and what meets Portugal Cape Finisterre they'll head for there and head across then so it's about a 12 day sail so depending on the wind and, 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 and that like, but it'll be a very enjoyable it looks like they'll have a great sail down you know they'll have a good they'll have a good one you know excellent stuff well of course it is for charity is there somewhere that people can donate to this yeah well we, we have if you go on to sailing into wellness we have a QR code on there on the support page and um, it, you know any sport is great like we are a charity and a social enterprise and we've a, a small team working with us but a, a, a really committed team and, and uh, like as I said we operate all around the country like from I think last year we operated with nine different locations around the country from Galway, Kerry, Cork, Waterford, right up to Carlingford. So, you know, it's anyone anyone who around the country wants to donate, they can get onto our website, sailingintowellness.ie, and they could go on, and there's a QR code there for them to donate. with Declan Drake for the next segment of the programme and a quite a busy one it is this morning as well coming up shortly we'll be talking to We Are Dublin's Nigel McCarthy looking ahead to Dublin's All-Ireland Senior Football Championship game with Sligo tomorrow afternoon at Kingspan Breffany Park and also to the Dublin ladies who begin their TG Car All-Ireland Championship this evening against Kerry at Parnell Park. Nigel will have the lowdown on both those games. And in hurling, it's a massive weekend for Dublin, a massive Saturday for Dublin, because it's either a season-extending or season-ending evening as they travel to Carlow to take on the home side in the preliminary quarter-final of the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship. Sean Lane, our regular hurling analyst, is with us in studio this morning to look ahead to that. Good morning, Sean. Morning, Declan. How are you? Good, very well, thanks. You recovered well after the excitement of last weekend, the Munster and Leinster finals. Oh, there were two great games, Declan. Yeah, two great yeah. games. Yeah. More about that uh, later with with Sean. But first of all, as I say, delighted to be joined on the line now by Nigel McCarthy of We Are Dublin to look ahead to a big weekend for football, both men's and ladies in the capital. Good morning, Nigel. Good morning, Declan. Good to talk to you again. Welcome back uh, to the programme. Good good to talk to you. As I say, a massive weekend for the boys and the girls in blue as well, Nigel. Let's start with the men. They play their neutral game in the Championship uh, group stage tomorrow afternoon against Sligo in Kingspan Breffney Park, starting at the earlier time of a quarter to two. The first thing that struck me about this was looking at the squad announcement yesterday was the return, first of all, of Ballymun Kickham's man, Evan Comerford as a sub goalkeeper at the moment, and also uh, Jack McCaffrey back in the panel as well after his recent injury problems. Yeah, the, the Dublin squad have been strengthened, and, and also back into the squad is uh, Owen Merchant as well. So um, yeah, that's that's great news. It's, it's certainly um, strengthened the panel for for tomorrow's game. 
A win and a draw in the previous two games. We're just a, a point short of Roscommon at the moment going into the final round of fixtures. We're playing a Division 4 team, Nigel, for the second time this year and it's our third game away from, from Crow Park. You would expect it to be fairly straightforward tomorrow afternoon with all due respects to Sligo who have made great strides this year. Yeah, you would do, Declan. But um, look, uh, looking over the, over the sort of league campaign and, and this campaign, uh, or, sorry, the All Ireland and Leinster campaigns, um, you know, Dublin have been a little bit up and down. So yeah, look, based on the quality of opposition, you would expect Dublin to win, and they should win, um, you know, fairly handily. But uh, as I said, based on on our sort of up and down form at the moment, you just don't know what to expect. Yeah, consistency is the key word that Desi Farrell, you know, emphasises in every post-match uh, press conference and press briefing that that he does. Are you seeing that's coming more and more in, in into the team over the last uh, couple of games? Um, I, if, if I've been honest, I'd have to say no. Um, as I said, they've been very up and down. They, you know, they they come out in one game and they look like they're, they're world beaters. You know, and the, the next day. Um, they don't look like they have a game plan, so uh, it's uh, it's a bit frustrating, I think, for, from a, a fan point of view, watching them, and it, it's very hard to judge where they exactly are at the moment. And of course, no doubt, we'll have our couple Aharuna Fornia as well. Changes to the team uh, tomorrow afternoon as well. Kieran Kilkenny, as we said, is back in the squad, having missed the Kildare game uh, through injury. He would be one person you would expect, perhaps, to to be amongst the changes if, if made. Yeah, you would do. And uh, look, uh, there was a couple of players picked up Knox in the last day, uh, including Conor Callahan, who has been named to start. So hopefully that's uh, good news. It wasn't um, as as bad as it, uh, as it looked. It looked like he, he'd maybe tweaked his hamstring. Um, but as you say, look, we're, we're going to have to wait and see what team actually starts tomorrow because, um, you know, the one that's named is, is very rarely the one that actually starts. And uh, look... It, it's it's like as you say it's a division four side. So even without Khan, you would expect Dublin to win. So if uh, I would expect if there's any players, you know, still carrying any niggly knocks, um, they won't start tomorrow. Um, you know, uh, you're going to hold them for for bigger games going forward. Yep, one forty-five pm starts a double header at Kingspan Breffney Park tomorrow afternoon. So we wish Desi and the boys every success down there or up there, depending on which way you look at it. Uh, tomorrow afternoon, uh, we must give a nod indeed to the Dublin Miners. A splendid, uh, stirring victory over Cork in the All Ireland quarter final last week. One eighteen to two twelve, the Blues qualifying for the All Ireland semi final at that level. Six points down at one stage, and yeah, they got a, a break, shall we say, with a controversial enough refereeing decision late on, but off we see those go against us so it is nice to come out on the right side of it for a change Paddy Curry, by the way with uh, the Dublin goal there and they will play Derry in the All-Ireland semi-final next weekend now Nigel turning our attention to the ladies the TG Cahar All-Ireland Championship for Mick Bowen's charges starts this afternoon when Kerry come a calling to Parnell Park uh, the game throwing in there at 5pm we've made great strides this year with a uh, a whole lot of new players coming into the squad and the team. They're developing all the time. But a big test for them against the beaten All-Ireland and league finalists this evening, Nigel. Yeah, it will be a big test. Um, as you say, look, there's a big, been a big turnover of players. I think there's 17 or 18 new players in, in, in the panel this year. Um, a lot of young inexperienced players. But, um, you know, as you were saying, yeah, they've been making great strides this year. Um, 
look, the two sides met ba- met back in February uh, down in down in Kerry, and um, you look, it, it was a fairly comprehensive win. But by, uh, by Kerry, uh, they they finished three, they finished three fifteen to one ten. But uh, I, I don't think you can sort of use that game as a barometer of, of what will happen today because I think uh, both sides' form ha- has changed in the sense of Dublin, you know, have as you, as you said, rightly said, have been progressing um, very well over, over over the last few months and um, look, since the league final itself, um, Kerry's form seems to have dipped a little bit. They seem to be suffering a little bit of a hangover from that game. Um, they lost the Munster final, um, surprisingly, to, to Cork uh, the last day out. So uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, game. Uh, look, one thing Dublin will certainly have to do uh, today is um, be uh, much more disciplined than they were in the last meeting with Kerry because uh, Louise Nemovartic will will punish you the last day she finished with uh, 0-11 and nine of those points came from freeze so um, they'll certainly have to be disciplined today but look um, it's one of those games where uh, both sides of you know are are showing different form than the last meeting when they both met and um, look there's a big carrot for for teams in the group set this year with um, the group winners uh, being guaranteed a home quarter final spot so um, certainly both sides will be looking for that position Um, so uh, it it should be a very interesting game yeah, Cavan, of course, are the other team uh, in that uh, group with uh, Dublin and uh, Kerry. It's going to be a fascinating championship, there's no doubt about it, because, of course, since we spoke last, Nigel, Meath have changed their management team as well after uh, three defeats to Dublin in 2023. Wouldn't mind getting another opportunity to play them and beat them later on in the year, but uh, that change of management in Meath just adds a little something to the whole dynamic of it, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. It was... It was very surprising, you know, that you rarely do teams change management sort of, you know, midway through their season. But um, uh, look, I, I haven't heard any reason why it was done. Maybe it was just down to the results they were having. You know, they had a poor league campaign. As you say, Dublin had beaten them a number of times, including in the Leinster final. So maybe they thought, you know, to, to save the rest of the year, they needed uh, new faces in there. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a strange one, all right, Declan. Yeah, I thought Eamon Murray was going to come back there for a while. It was sort of tailor-made for it, really, wasn't it, to come in and, and save the day for, for the Royals, but not not on this particular occasion. Nigel, I take it you... Uh, well, what's your uh, venue this evening? Are, are you going to Parnell or will you be making the trip to, to Carlo with the Hurlers? Yeah, we'll be in Parnell uh, this evening. Great stuff. So if you can't make it to a television screen to TG Carr, who are showing the game live, we are Dublin. Uh, we'll be providing live Twitter updates throughout the course of the, the evening. That's the best place in the city to go and keep in touch with the game this afternoon. Nigel, enjoy it and um, give Mick uh, and our and the girls our very best here as well on the programme this morning and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. I will, Declan. Thanks very much. Thank you very much indeed there too. Nigel McCarthy of We Are Dublin, uh, Dublin taking on Kerry this evening, five o'clock in the TG Carter Championship at uh, Parnell Park. Best of luck to Mick and the crew there as well. OK, we're going to turn our attention on the programme now to hurling and as I said at the start of the piece, it's a season extending or season ending Uh, afternoon for Dublin Hurlers. They're on the road to face Carlo, the McDonough Cup winners, in the preliminary quarterfinal of the Senior Hurling Championship. Five o'clock start on the banks of the Barrow this afternoon. Sean Lane, our regular hurling analyst, is with us in studio looking ahead to this one. Ever since Micheál Dunahoo, Sean, got the job, 
after last year's championship, um, a day like today has been on the radar. It's been the minimum target. We've achieved it and we're looking forward to the trip to Carlo this evening. Yeah, without a doubt, Declan. Uh, you know, we, 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 last year we, we just didn't make it. This year we have made it, um, albeit we didn't make the Leinster final. Uh, we've played some reasonable stuff. Kilkenny beat us, but we put up a smashing performance down there. You know, drew at Galway and Crow Park, beat Wexford. So we're on a bit of a run. But as I said, you know, um, this is a game that we did expect to place, etc. And, you know, this isn't going to be an easy one. We, we've uh, experienced uh, defeat at this stage back in it was a 2019 against Leash. So we need to have our stocks pulled up right from the very start here t- at five o'clock. Yeah, just reading John Milan in The Independent this morning, I quote, Dublin can't afford to let history repeat itself with Barrow Siders waiting in the long grass. Accurate enough. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to say it. I mean, ju- ju- just look at the, the, the Carlo setup. You, they've Tom Mullally, he was in charge of uh, Mount Leinster Rangers when they went to the All-Ireland Club final. He's managed the Wexford under-21s. Load of pedigree. He tra- trained Ballantyre a couple of times as well. So he's he's a pretty good guy. Uh, knows his stuff. But I just look back at the record. That, you know, they, they, they scored 229. Now, I know there was extra time, but that was against Offaly. And Offaly aren't a, a bad side. But they're getting a range of scores, Carlo are. I mean, in the final, Paddy Boland got 1-4, Chris Nolan 4, James Doyle 3, Tom Nolan 3, and Martin Cavan, who was taking the freeze, got 1-8. That's 2-22 between five players. So every back needs to be on his game here because any loose play at all, um, and we could put ourselves into trouble. And if you go back to the 2019 game, we kind of, against Leash, down in Port Leash, we kind of took it for granted Maddie Kenny probably wasn't his fault he probably said everything that had to be said to the players beforehand but I remember that game every time Leash got a ball they, they had a bit of room and they, they were able to throw over really good scores we need to approach this as if our lives depended on it be in their boots be in their socks make sure that there's any ball that's been fought for that, that we're there thereabouts and, and uh, you know I, I think we'll come out on top but it'll be a tough game Declan but our life does depend on it if we don't do the business this evening our summer and our hurling year at inter-county level is over but just looking at the team and the squad that was announced yesterday as it is now customary to do so on a Friday uh, what are your impressions overall of the team mine I'd have to say is initially a very strong spine to the team from full back to the edge of the square yeah, and, and, and you have it now. Will that team start? We, we don't know. First thing, just a, a quick talk to Dara Power. Best luck to him from the Fagalians Club, putting great work in Hurland. So I hope everything goes well for him. But yes, you're right. I mean, Owen O'Donnell, Paddy Smith, I think Conor Bork has been a revelation at centre-back. I think he's played really, really well. Uh, and up front, I think, you know, um, with, with Danny Sutcliffe is, is certainly coming very good. I still think there's a little bit more in Keno Sullivan based on the league performances against Walford where he got a couple of goals. Um, I I would play Paul Crummy. I know he's listed in the in the subs. I would pick him. I saw him get a smashing goal, albeit against Kilkenny in a league game. But he had an awful lot to do. A ball went into a corner. He could go in after, pick it up. So I think it's a good squad. I think there's some very very good um, subs to bring in there. And uh, but you know, no matter what, we can only have 15 on the field. Every fella out there, as I said, needs to from day one, right from the ball thrown in, get at this. Let's get the game over as quick as we possibly can. But this isn't going to be easy. I can still see this Carlos team's putting up a score of 121, 122, maybe 123. It's important we reduce them to as, as minimum the number of green flags. If we do, I think we'll beat them. But, you know, we need to be all up for this game right from the very start. Well, if Coolham and Sean Brennan in goal has had a fantastic couple of games, made some 
telling saves, particularly against Galway and indeed against Wexford in Crow Park as well. So well, we need Sean to be on his game and, and the lads in, in front of him this evening. The reward for the winners, um, Sean, is a quarterfinal date with Clare who agonisingly lost the Munster final last week as well. And there isn't a lot of time to, to get your head around the, that particular challenge if you come through today. Yeah, and it's very difficult. And, and sometimes you can get ahead of yourself, as you, as you well know, Declan. And and here's where we are. I mean, if, if we did um, get turned over by Carlo today, you'd have to write off the season as an absolute disaster. Uh, whereas if we can get over Carlo today and give Claire a right good game and, and, and be pushing right with the last five or six minutes to go albeit if you lost the game you'd have to say well that's that's not a bad season because we're after beating Wexford and Crow Park we're after a draw with Galway and Crow Park um, we, we, we played extremely well against Kilkenny albeit we, we kept them scoreless in relation to goals we still scored 21 points ourselves and we took care of business albeit we, we only got a draw away to Antrim but there's a game as well our first game out we found ourselves five or six points down uh, on a really wet windy day up up in, in Corrigan Park and we put the shoulder to the wheel and, and, and got a result so they've played really well they've had a good league campaign but you know like everything else if if, if it finishes today it will be classed as a bad season whereas if we can get over today and have one right cut of the quarter final against Clare uh, you know, I, I, I'd be very happy with Michal Donoghue's progress for his first year. Yeah, we wish him and the lads every success. And also, the friends of Dublin Hurling who are making the pilgrimage to Netwatch Cullen Park this evening as well. I think they'll be on the road fairly shortly, actually. So the best of luck to the, to the lads and the girls there who are supporting the boys in blue this evening. And we here on the programme wish them every success as well. Sean, last week, last Sunday, was literally Super Sunday in the Championship. We had two absolutely epic provincial finals in Leinster, which saw Kilkenny come through in Munster, Limerick. They're still there. They're still the champions, as Dale would say, you know, and um, doing really, really well. Apologies, Anthony, if you're listening for the impression. But um, two, as I say, two fantastic games. Uh, right outcomes on the day? Well, that's always hard for us. Like, let, let's look at the two games in a combination of, of one. I mean, both outcomes where there was one point the difference in both games, which is phenomenal in high-scoring games. To think that the very last play in the Clare-Limerick game, you could have awarded Clare two frees. Um, they would have taken one, but you could have awarded them two frees. That would have ended in a draw. And right at the very death, four minutes into extra time, the Galway lads were two points ahead and between the Galway and Kilkenny lads I don't think anybody could stand in the corner so I wouldn't blame the Galway backs not clearing the ball because the Kilkenny lads couldn't pick it up and hit it in either but Kilkenny being Kilkenny and you'd have given out to me about giving out about Kilkenny you have to take your hats off they never give in and you know, there was probably 24,000 at, at that game in Crow Park, which is another issue we can talk about. But it, there was probably 20,000, including Galway, kind of saying, I know what's coming next. And it did. Ankle Kenny, Killian uh, got a smashing goal for, 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 for Uncle Kenny. Yeah, the issue was raised about playing the provincial final in Croke Park. Um, as you say, 24,000 there for, for the, the Leinster final last, last Sunday. Is there merit? in taking it out of Crow Park and going to O'More Park or going to, to Tullamore uh, depending on, on who's actually in, in the final or would you be a pure traditionalist and say it has to be played at GA headquarters? I, I think it's time Declan to certainly try something new be it a, a two year or a three year programme I was at the Leinster final not this year but, but last year 
and there was absolutely no atmosphere. On a Saturday night? Saturday night. Mm. There was no atmosphere whatsoever. I got free tickets to go as well, so I wasn't a paying customer. Um, you know, I think it's time to try something else uh, at Port Leash. You know, if, if Gaw were in or Tullamore, if Gaw were in, you know, a Wexford or whatever. And, you know, if it was a Wexford Kilkenny final, toss a coin and say, right, we'll play it in Nolan Park or we'll play it in Wexford Park. If Dublin are playing, well, look at, well, Dublin probably go with Crow Park. Um, you know, but it should certainly be tried, Declan. I, I think if we keep, you know, going to Crow Park for Leinster finals and there's 22 or 23,000 there, it's. It's just not a good spectacle, and and uh, and it is at the end of the day. There were forty three thousand Declan at the Munster final in Limerick. Yeah, but then on the other side of it, people might say, "Well, why not move the Munster final to Crow Park and get fifty thousand plus at it, which is the type of crowd that it it, it would attract because the, it's such a uh, compelling product and demand for it is, is, is so high. You could probably cut it." probably could have got another five or 6,000 plus into the Gaelic grounds had the capacity been there last week. There's, no, there's absolutely no doubt on that but then I, I twisted back as you Galway and Armagh I think are looking for Crow Park for the football this weekend and they can't get it for some reason but uh, yeah a Munster final I mean in the football going back was it 10 or 12 years ago wasn't it Tyrone and Armagh I think met in an Ulster final yeah, which was played in Crow Park and you're dead right I think there was 60 something thousand at it certainly worth looking at but I mean the day of a Leinster final uh, or an All-Ireland final or a National League final or an under-20 Leinster final, you need atmosphere and, and it is lacking in Crow Park. I'm just a traditionalist, right? When it comes to Munster hurling, the only place for me, personally, to play the Munster final is Semple Stadium in Thurles, right? Now, you've got a fantastic new ground in Cork which requires financial assistance mm. in terms of attendances coming through the gates. The Gaelic grounds in Limerick are fantastic ground as well, but for me, oh, Tom Semple's field, that's where, that's where it's at. Yeah, there's, there's a piece of that in me as well, but... You know, if 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 you were if you were playing Tipperary in 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 five or six Munster finals in over a period of ten or twelve years, which used to be the case, uh, and you were Limerick or Clare, you'd be scratching your head saying, "Why do we have to play them here every 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 year?" You know, uh, Tom Semple Stadium, as you you call it, always uh, it's a tremendous stadium, tremendous uh, pitch, tremendous surface, um, but look at you know. There's a commercial side to this as well. All these other towns deserve a big game. Uh, you know, the business community deserve uh, days out as well. And uh, I think the more games we play all over the country is is really good for the GAA. So, in a word, Sean, Dublin to qualify to meet Clare next week? I, I think they will, Declan. Um, I, I, I think that um, Michal who will have them right. I think they'll... You know, a lot of them it did experience the defeat to Leash in 2019 when Leash had won the McDonough Cup. Uh, I but I would expect a kind of a scoreline of maybe 128 to 23 or four points, maybe 128 to 123 or four points. So we need to be on top of our game, and if we are, we'll win. Time to turn our attention to football now and uh, what has to be said was a very disappointing night for Ireland football fans as we went down 2-1 to Greece last night. On the line to, to talk to me now is Alan Cawley. Good morning Al, how are you? I'm good Reggie, how are you? Not so bad, a bit deflated I have to say. Went into that game last night, sitting at home with the kids, you know, had the Pringles out, all excited, ready to go and it just... It just didn't, <laughs> it didn't work out the way we wanted. Um, very disappointing performance really. Yeah, massively disappointing, Reggie. Um, I was something similar. Obviously, there was a lot of hope and expectation going into the game. We knew this was going to be pivotal in terms of the group. And as I said, there was a lot of 
um, excitement around it as well because the fact that Stephen had the team together for 10, 12 days, the training camp, all the preparation seemed to go well, they prepared properly, going over to Turkey and all that. Um, and we knew it was going to be a huge game because Greece were in a similar position. They were probably viewing us as a game that we that they need to win as well to give themselves any chance of possibly pipping the Netherlands but also to finish third in the group. So it was a massive game and it just never got going, Reggie. Um, we, we we actually won a corner in the first 30 seconds. Then we were penned in for the next 10 minutes and they must have won about seven or eight corners in that period. And it was just hard to see, I suppose, once they scored, the goal was coming. I know people might say, well, the penalty was it or wasn't. I felt it was a penalty, but the goal was coming. And it was at that stage, you're thinking, how are we going to get back into it? And then the set piece gives us some hope. But then they just took over again, Greece, after that. And uh, we were totally outplayed, dominated for large periods never got going, never got a foothold in the game. None of the players that you would expect to get on at midfield, like Cullen, um, ever really got on got on the ball and got us any sort of control in the match. And as you say, it was bitterly disappointing. And considering now Stephen is two and a half, three years into the rain and this was the campaign that everybody was going to judge him on, um, I'd worry for him now, to be honest with you, Reggie. Yeah, I mean, coming into the game, it, it, was, it wasn't like... They, they hadn't prepared for it you know I mean okay they'd say there was talk about not enough competitive games for the players etc etc all of that kind of stuff but the fact was they were together a long time they did have um, warm up games and everything else you know they, they kind of surely there, there there would have been a better plan put in place I think that's the thing that was most frustrating for people last night was at times it just didn't even look like the players knew where their teammates were going to be even stringing passes together they were they just weren't going to each other with passes it was just very sloppy type of stuff you know yeah and normally sometimes I say we've heard all the excuses and, and mm. sometimes they're not excuses sometimes they're it's Facts. reality when, yeah. when you're only together for the two or three days and different situations as we've heard over the years with Stephen since he's been in he's been unlucky uh, in some kind of international windows with the COVID period all that stuff but we've heard all that now Reggie and that's why I felt going into that game last night there was no room for those kind of excuses or for those explanations because you had the 10 days build up he had all the time in the world with the players you were able to study Greece for a long period. We knew he he was telling us they knew what Greece were going to do. But looking at the game, it was completely at odds with what we had heard in the build-up because Greece, it was almost like it was the first time they'd ever seen Greece play because they just couldn't get the grips with them whatsoever. Um, and I know players aren't playing. That's definitely a factor and that's an issue, the pool of players that we're picking from. But I'm not sure how you can come up with any any sort of excuse for that performance last night and I don't think Stephen will want to either He'll ha- he's taken responsibility already and ultimately it comes down to the manager he's had his two and a half years I've always defended him always stuck up for him always wanted to see him do well but I don't kind of lead with blind reality either I can only tell you what's, what's in front of my eyes Reggie and looking at it last night this was the campaign we're at the, we're at the stage now where you need to see results and we were totally outplayed and if you're looking at the group in reality like we're zero points after two games with the Netherlands to come and France and Greece at home as well like you just can't see anything coming out of this group Right Alan well okay you're, you're saying there comes down to the manager and we always say that and Stephen Kenny is saying that himself okay but then you look at someone like Liam Brady who's saying making a statement uh, for the whole world to see that this is the worst group of players that he is can remember in his lifetime and you're saying to yourself Okay, now I mean that's coming from an expert, not you know that that's a quoting an expert, the worst group of players. So, mm-hmm. so are we being unfair on Kenny and and could like what 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 is being done wrong 
uh, by Kenny, let's say. Um, if it's the worst group of players, what could anybody do to make this better? I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm interested to know yeah, what your side of it is. Is it the worst group of players? Is it bad the, manager? Should the po- can the two the be? I, yeah, the point I was making there, Reggie, about ultimately it comes down to the manager is because he's in that position. So if results are not going your way, he'll be the fall guy. Yeah. But that's not to say he's to blame. There's a lot of things at 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 play here in terms of who's to blame and this is just the chickens coming home to roost in terms of the lack of investment and all the pre-planning and all that kind of stuff over the last number of years that we're left with a crop of players here that we've nobody playing at the elite level in the Premier League so that's a bigger and wider kind of argument but on Liam Brady's point and to answer his question I actually felt Liam was very fair in his assessment last night Hmm. and I don't think he meant it as a criticism to the players I think it was more in sympathy to Stephen to actually say like Stephen's hands are tied here because all the managers that have gone before him would have had maybe one or two, three, four, five, whatever the case may be. You can go through all the managers of players playing at a very high level. Whereas, unfortunately, the timing of Stephen taking over, it's very much a transitional period. It's very much a time when we've nobody playing at the elite level. You're trying to build something with young players. You're relying on an 18-year-old playing centre-forward who's played a handful of games. So I think he meant that comment more in sympathy to Stephen almost to the point to say, regardless of who is in charge here right now at this moment in time, you're picking from players who were at a very low level. Well, and, that's the point then, and, Alan. And exactly, I mean, and that's what you're saying. Are we yeah. being unfair to Stephen? And and you know my feelings on this for the last two or three years, Reggie. I said this, all this to you in the sense that it's going to be a lot of long-term pain, a lot to get to where we want to go. But after two and a half years, is people's patience wearing thin? And I feel it is because when you're coming up with constant excuses, I don't think they're excuses, but if you're coming up with, as people say, when you're explaining, you're losing. And if you're try, if you're constantly trying to explain away a good performance but a bad result, yeah. eventually people start saying, hold on a minute, like there needs to be a But you get now. the best manager in the world in there, Pep Guardiola. Yeah, like, I agree. Get, get him in there. It's not going to change based on what you're saying or what Liam Brady is saying or what many other people are saying. So so what is the answer? I think I think the only thing that would change, Reggie, if you brought in a different manager and, let's say, a more experienced manager than Stephen, say the likes of Sam Allardyce to throw a name at, or people that have been linked with Chris Hughes, what would happen then, I think, is they would be more pragmatic in their approach. Stephen has been very bullish about trying to change the way the game is played here, all that kind of stuff. So that's a stick that people have to beat him with straight away when we don't see us playing like that. It's very, very difficult to implement and people will argue he's mad in what he's trying to do. And maybe he is, we don't know. But I would much rather see us trying to change the way we play in the sense that get away from the, the stuff we've seen with Trapatoni O'Neill, Mick McCarthy over the last 10 years than what Stephen's trying to do. But people will argue then O'Neill and Trapatoni and McCarthy got results. So they'd be more pragmatic and go back to an Irish type way and I even hate saying that phrase mm-hmm. because, because Irish players are well able to play football. I played with loads of lads who were talented and wanted to play football the right way. They were managers that were a bit more pragmatic in their approach. All they were thinking about was a result. But that's not sustainable in long term. What Stephen's trying to implement is sustainable, but it maybe it's a manager that comes after Stephen will reap the rewards of these young lads coming through and not Stephen. Well, Alan, good morning to you. It's Declan here. Um, Hi, Declan. We, we had Liam Brady, arguably our greatest footballer of, of all time, and he was a victim of the system at the time under under mm. Jack Charlton, which was ultimately successful. Is the time now right? This is a straight question now. Is the time now right for a, for a change here at the top? Have the FAI, did they make a mistake in maintaining Stephen Kenny as Ireland manager? I don't think so. 
Declan, at all. Because, as I said, for the last two and a half years, and you know this as well, Declan, he's been starting from scratch. If you look at the turnover of players in terms of the old guard leaving and him bring through the amount of under-21s and lads that need to build up a portfolio of caps and experience, and then you look at, you add in the factors of nobody playing at the elite level, the lack of games that some of them are getting at championship level, League One, and to answer Reggie's question, or to go back to his point, are we expecting far too much of Stephen Kenny? Now, people will argue we're not. I don't think we're expecting too much in the sense that I wouldn't be expecting us to qualify, but I would expect us to put up a far better performance against Greece away from home than what we showed last night. Yeah, it, it would, yeah, we would think so. I suppose that the next question then, uh, Alan, is the knives are out. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, uh, very e- much out. Everybody's rounded on him. Uh, every bit of media you're looking at this morning, can he survive this? I don't think so, Reggie, no. I don't, because because he's had his time, he's had his chance in the sense that he's built up that two and a half, three years. Now, I would still be prepared to, as I said, there's going to be a lot of long-term pain to get to where we want to go. Like, Declan will even tell you in terms of where we're only starting now with the National League underage structures. We're only starting now. That stuff should have been done 20, 25 years ago. So we're literally only starting where we should have been. And that's obviously another kind of uh, added factor in terms of why we're not developing players and why we're left with players maybe who are playing at the level that they're playing at. But it's the here and now and we always hear the phrase football is a results business. He's had longer than anyone in terms of building up that uh, period of probably two and a half, three years. And I always felt, even as much as I've defended him, this was the campaign that we needed to show a few results. And he's had four competitive wins against Azerbaijan, Armenia, Luxembourg, and that good one against Scotland. People will argue that's nowhere near good enough, regardless of the players that you're you're dealing with or at your disposal. And to go away and 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 sometimes you can live with a performance where we a VAR decision might have went against you last night or an unlucky penalty or whatever. We were totally outplayed last night, Reggie, from mm. start to finish, totally. Um, and that's what's going to come against Stephen, and I'd be surprised if he if he sees this out. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine One Hundred Six Point Eight from myself, Ken, and Reggie. Have a good weekend.